You're listening to How Do I Sponsor a Refugee, a podcast brought to you by MCC Saskatchewan. Welcome to episode three of How Do I Sponsor a Refugee? I'm Mark and I'm the Migration Resettlement Coordinator for Mennonite Central Committee Saskatchewan, which basically means that I help people to sponsor refugees. And I have a certificate that says that I own one square foot of a Scottish island. Ooh, that's tough to beat. Okay. I'm Kate. I work in healthcare education at the University of Saskatchewan, um, where I basically teach well people how to pretend to be sick. And... Um, my favorite way as a child to deal with uh, personal tragedies and uh, injustices such as not getting what I wanted was to sing dirges until I fell asleep. <laughs> not as impressive, but, you know. Well, do you want to demonstrate now? <laughs> no, let's just go straight to the episode. <laughs> this session, we're going to talk a bit about... I mean, we're getting a little bit out of sequence here, but I think mm. it's important to get out of sequence because this is about getting prepared for yeah. what you have to do when the people arrive. Yeah, because what, so. I, what I really wanted to know when I was first getting started was, okay, so this is the big picture of what private sponsorship can look like, but what does that actually mean? What does the day-to-day of it look mm-hmm. like? What kind of hours does a person have to put in? So then how many people do I want in my group with me? kind of human resources, time resources are needed. So we'll talk uh, a bit more about that in detail. So what are the main kind of headings we're going to go through today? Yeah, okay, so there's bureaucracy, there's medical stuff, there's financial stuff, there's getting used to normal Canadian life, if there's such a thing as normal Canadian life. The variations of normal Canadian life. There's the whole business of meeting needs as they arise, and sometimes that's emergencies and sometimes it's just needs. And then there's the just getting on with people, the yeah. friendships and the social events and, and so on. Yeah. But also I think we have to talk about sensitivities that hmm. we may have to address. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll end on that one yeah. today. So when folks arrive in Canada, in order to access all of the services that uh, make things livable here, you have to have, you know, all your ID cards and things like that. So what does that process look like? Yeah. Okay. So when they arrive, typically they come into Toronto, sometimes they come into Vancouver, and at that port of entry, they will receive some papers. They will also have received some papers before they fly. So when they arrive in Saskatoon, they will have a sheet of paper saying that they are a permanent resident. That sheet of paper has to be converted into a nice little card, Hmm. because big sheets of paper are a bit unwieldy to carry Mm -hmm. around with you. That should be done automatically, but sometimes that needs chasing up. Anybody who's going to be living permanently in Canada needs a social insurance number. Before COVID, they were given those numbers at the port of entry. 
Under COVID, it's decided that we don't want too many staff taking the risk of being at an airport where there's lots of people coming through. So that's something now that has to be done after people arrive. And that has to be done at at, um, Service Canada outlets. Mm -hmm. They will come with an interim federal health paper. Again, it's a big paper. That needs to be converted into a Well, no, it it doesn't, because they get that for a year. Oh, okay. But they also need to get their provincial health card. Right. The nice thing about the interim federal program is that... There are a few things included in it that aren't on the provincial programme. So hmm. basic dentistry, not detailed dentistry, but basic dentistry they can get for free. Some things with eyeglasses. And there are things on the list of approved medicines wow. that are not on the provincial list. So it's kind of good to have both. Yeah. The disadvantage of the interim federal health scheme is that you end up queuing for ages at the hospital to show them your big bit of paper saying that you've got a right to be there. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it's, it's a much easier process if you can just go in with your provincial health card. So they need both. And at the end of the year, they only have the provincial health card. So you have to make sure that they've certainly got it by then. Yes. Uh, which can take a little bit of effort. I mean, it's, it's not normal for it to be delayed that long, but there are delays. Then the other thing is, you know, if you've got children, obviously, if they're school age, you need to sort out schools. Mm-hmm. But there's also child tax benefit to be got, and that's kind of an important part of the way that families are financed, because actually... The sponsorship group is not required to pay very much for children under 18. Oh, okay. The reason for that is that the, the, there is that money coming from the government for them. Right, so that it's coming yeah. from both. So okay. you have to make sure that government, that money is coming from the government for them. And yes. it doesn't come for the first three months. Okay. You have to apply for it as soon as you can. Then you've got a three-month wait. And then they get that three months in a lump Mm. together probably with month four okay and that's the way it should work sometimes it's a wait for a couple more months beyond that but that's you know that's not the way the system should work yeah Yeah. but either way you do want to get that paperwork filled out as soon as possible as soon as they arrive so that even if there is a delay it's as short as possible yeah yeah absolutely that's the bureaucracy (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, those are, um, like, it's really, really clear what your role is as a, a part of a sponsorship group because the kinds of, like, even if folks are coming here and they have English fluency, the kind of language that's used in those fun conversations, on those forms, on uh, all of those papers, is a lot harder to understand than just conversational English. Oh, yes. So it's yes. really important yeah. to have us yeah. be the ones yeah. helping with those conversations. Yes. We, we talked a little bit in previous episodes about, you know, sometimes refugees arrive here with very specific medical needs or mm-hmm. injuries um, or illnesses. But even in cases where folks arrive and they're 
relatively sound. What are the processes that you, like, how do you start setting them up with a family doctor and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, you, you need to set them up with a family doctor, with a family dentist. I mean, mm-hmm. if they have eye issues, then find an ophthalmologist. That's really a matter of hunting around. It's great if you can find a doctor who speaks their native language. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's not impossible, necessarily. Are there currently... Depending on where they're coming from, obviously. Right, yes. Um, and are there any existing sort of matching programs or... No, but no. Um, the Saskatoon Community Clinic does mm-hmm. have its own program that you know, people can get started there. Right. And, and then move on to a doctor. They try to get the best interpretation that they can get. Mm-hmm. There's interpretation at the hospital as well. Okay, right, um, yeah. So it's, but I mean, that's usually remote. It's usually, you know, on a speakerphone. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit clunky, but it, it works. Yeah. yeah, so that's getting them set up with, with their medical needs. Uh, and then the financial system that we have in Canada, in Saskatchewan, will likely be very different from what they are accustomed sure. to. Yeah. So yeah. then things like banking <clears throat> mm-hmm. and things more interesting than banking, if they want to get finances set up here, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a matter of, you know, enable them to get a bank account as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Most people who come here are pretty financially savvy. You know, if you've been a refugee for a few years, yeah. you know how to look after your money. Mm-hmm. Hard life experiences teach you that. Obviously, learning to use a bank is, is new for some people. It's not for others. Mm-hmm. And then the whole issue of, you know, paying the rent and going shopping, those yeah. sorts of things. Using Facebook Marketplace. Uh, if that's what you want to do, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about all the different ways, like with yeah. um, e-transfer becoming so much more common now through COVID. Yeah. That's an entirely yeah. new system that I didn't have to be that well-versed in and have learned how to do that more comfortably. But it might not be a system that is even something that someone would ever have in- interacted well, with in another country. Yeah, you get an enormous variety, actually. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some countries where that has been... That sort of system has been the norm for transferring money for right for years. <laughs> yeah, and everything else because <laughs> they don't have banks. Uh, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but in other places, it's it's not so easy. There's a, a degree of figuring out. Well, what do they need to know? What what can they do? What, yeah. What what do they need to learn? Yeah, and then the something that we talk about. Um, my sister and I talk about because she works for Global Gathering Places, just how do you introduce these fe- these uh, families or uh, individuals to the regular customs and normal quote-unquote behavior in Canadian society? Because there's all sorts of things that you to us is just so normal. We mm-hmm. don't think of it. How do you make sure you're giving these families or these individuals a really thorough introduction to what is normal, customary in Canadian life? Yeah, and you don't necessarily realise what the what's different. Yeah, yeah, and you learn that as, through relationship. Really. Right. It's yeah, just by having conversation yeah. and 
finding out that, you know, oh, they had an interesting interaction when they were uh, at their job or whatever, and they're confused about it or whatever. It's not the same as back home. And they mm-hmm. bring it up in conversation and you can easily go, oh, this is how we talk about food differently or this is the different custom around all eating together or things like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. There should be no expectation that people change their culture. Yeah. It's, and I mean, there's, there's much to learn, I think, from a lot of the cultures that we bring here. It's mm-hmm. you know, the way that people support each other within their families can be really yeah. quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, and, and a, a different from the norm in white Saskatchewan, yeah. where all family members live very far away from each other all the time. And the culture of hospitality. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, I think, for mm-hmm. us to learn from that, that relationship. Yeah, and that essentially it's not about teaching them lessons on how to change their behaviour and customs to fit in. It's about identifying the differences talking about mm-hmm. them yeah and you know if there's misunderstandings or conflict and things like that you can help bridge understanding yeah um but that it's just about sharing cultures yeah and then yeah we sort of said at the beginning once you have them set up you know they they have a bank account they've got uh they're connected with medical services they've got all of their government cards and paperwork sorted out yeah. from that point on all those things i imagine happen rather quickly yeah yeah and you know i mean things like knowing how to use the shops and knowing which shops to find the things that they want to eat yes you can find and yeah. um, knowing how to use public transit within mm-hmm. the city and i mean those those sorts of things are fairly early on yeah <laughs> if you if you if there's another thing like that that hasn't been sorted out You'll bump up against it soon enough. The other thing we haven't talked about is English classes. Yes, yeah. So that's also a part that happens quite early. Yeah, and I mean, what we do is refugees are given a privileged position, you know, in, in terms of their rights to learn English. So above all other immigrants. So... What, one of the things that I have to do is I have to write a letter for each of the adult newcomers that we bring as refugees mm-hmm. to, I mean, in our case, in Saskatoon, it's international women in Saskatoon that, that start off this process. They, they go through something called LARC, which is basically an English test right. that determines sort of what level of English they have and therefore which class to put them into. Mm-hmm. That's kind of important as, as one of the early things for people to do, yeah. is to get that test done and get into an English class. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're spending time going about in Saskatoon on the bus or to the shops or whatever, mm-hmm. then you pick up some English along the way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And for those that manage to get into work relatively early, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's the advantage there as well. Yeah. But those formal classes are really helpful, I think, because the stronger your English, the better a job you can get, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah. 
And if you're returning to school, yeah. it helps yeah. that process go quicker. Yeah, I mean, even if you're absolutely brilliant and, and capable and everything else, but you've only got a you know level one English, you're not going to get very far, yeah. unfortunately, in Canada. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the initial steps, is sorting out where you need to get to and where you're at with language mm-hmm. proficiency. Um, but yeah, from that point onward, it's about being in close communication with these with the newcomers that you're supporting yeah. so that you can meet needs as they come mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Because if you just wait for them to call on you and you're not that involved in their life, yeah. you won't know yeah. how to support them. Yeah. And sometimes they will do things that work in their country but don't necessarily work here. Like mm-hmm. instead of going to your GP, they may go to emergency at the hospital. Right. Which, it works, but it's extra strain on the emergency and, and it's, you know, the GPs are there for, for a reason. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And they're there to form a relationship with you and your family yeah. members as well yeah. so that it's the continuous of care yeah. is a bigger picture. Yeah. yeah, and then as you're forming a friendship, building on that relationship with the refugees and involving yourself in their lives and involving them in yours... How often do you see uh, sponsorship groups learning other languages to, like, not just so that it's not just that one-way street of the folks coming here learning English? Well, it happens. Yeah. I mean, up to a point. You have to be quite keen to learn it. You have to be quite keen to. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, some of the languages are not easy. I mean, Arabic is not an easy language to learn, I don't think. Hmm. Um, not that I've tried hard, but yeah, I've never tried. <laughs> but you know, the script is <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, different alphabet. For us, yeah. is a struggle. We've got the same issue with Amharic and Tigrinya script uh, from okay. you know, people from Ethiopia and Eritrea. It's written differently. I mean, it's, it's actually quite a rational system, but <laughs> you have to learn it, and it's a language that's not very well related to English. But it's a good thing to do. Yeah. If you can. If you can. <laughs> if, you, if you can pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Even then, odd little bits, you know. Uh, yeah, greetings, yeah. things like that. Yeah, just to, to share some of that language as well. I think something you said at the beginning was important to include in this conversation is that as things settle down for the folks who have arrived and some of their basic needs are being met, you, something, a conversation that you had had with our group that's preparing for sponsorship is that um, issues of mental health issues and trauma, great hurts, don't necessarily show themselves until some time has passed since they've arrived. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah. It varies enormously from person to person. Of course. I'll do one of these sessions with my colleague Heather, who's a bit of a specialist when, when it comes to trauma awareness. Because I think that's, that's something that we do need to be more aware of than maybe we have been in the past. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people have gone through appalling experiences before they come here. Mm-hmm. And there are things that, you know, bits of their brain that will still be living there, uh, that, you know, will keep 
coming back to them and, and annoying them and, mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, or if they get triggered you know, by something. Mm-hmm. So I think being, you know, being aware of that is important. But, I mean, as, as you were hinting at, people, when they come here, I mean, they're putting all their effort, all their energy into settling into, you know, this whole weird experience of <laughs> being in this country. <laughs> being uh, in Saskatoon. Yeah. <laughs> and so dealing with the trauma takes a backseat. Yeah, the brain has a way it's, of filtering things. Yeah. And yeah. what's most important yeah. and pressing gets dealt with first. Yeah. and. yeah. Part of you knows that other things that will come up have to come up later. Yeah. When you feel safer. Yeah, but then you start start relaxing because things are safe and. <laughs> yep. And then something yeah. rears and its ugly head. Yeah. Because, like you said, there have been yeah. appalling circumstances and great hurt yeah. that's happened. And that may happen with some of the people that we work with in the family that's already here. Yeah, and so there are resources. There's. Heather to reach out mm-hmm. to. There are, I imagine, a few services that are specific to. Well, there's a bit. I mean, Global Gathering Place has a clinic mm-hmm. one afternoon a week, so yeah, there's not a lot of capacity there. But there's some mm-hmm. um, health region. There are services available, but it tends to be a, a long wait before you can get into them. Right. We have some, I mean, I have reached out in the past to professional counsellors and there are people who are, you know, in principle willing to, to work with people right, on those types of things. So, you know, there are possibilities there. Yeah, and depending on, like, not everyone from coming to us from different places in the world is going to be comfortable with the context of sharing what's happening for them with someone like a therapist. Oh, precisely. You know, because everyone precisely, has yes. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean, there are some cultures where that's just no. Yeah, that's a, that's a real hard no. <laughs> <laughs> and they will have their own systems in their own culture. And mm-hmm. if their culture is strong enough here, then they can, they can hack it. Yeah, yeah. If there's community it's, to, to yeah. support them and to show yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, that's not going to be true for every person, but mm-hmm. it's going to be true for some of them. Yeah, but all the more reason to be involved and invested genuinely in these people's lives so that you can see when things are getting less stable, if they do, and can help them access what community and cultural pockets there are yeah. in Saskatchewan yeah. or in Saskatoon, so that the supports are there and you don't have to start looking for them when an emergent issue happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that needs to be sensitive as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we don't want to be introducing someone to someone we know, you know, hey, you come from the same country. <laughs> you should then, be best friends. And then they find that, you know, they were on different sides in some political... <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it could uh, could definitely go awry, but do it intentionally. Yeah, thoughtfully. Okay. So that's the sort of main headings of what role you have in their yeah. life as a sponsor. Yeah. So you you deal with what comes first. 
the government paperwork, getting their health card and, and all of that set up. And along with that, you're getting them connected to health services and making sure that you're also setting them up with banking and familiarizing them with the financial systems here and introducing them to any customs that are different from theirs between their lives and Canadian lives and then blending your lives together, becoming a friend so that when unexpected things come up or when needs you didn't plan for come up, you are there to talk to them about it and (laughs) help address those needs. And throughout all of this, having a sensitive eye on what traumas may have occurred or might emerge as life settles into feeling more safe and more stable mm-hmm. in Canada. Yeah. So okay. next time, what are we talking about? Next time, it's more about forms. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason for it. Please note that this series of podcasts, which we're calling How Do I Sponsor a Refugee, because that's what they're about, are quite specific in the detail to how we do things at the Mennonite Central Committee office in Saskatoon. Not every sponsorship agreement holder will do things in exactly the same way. We're all subject to the same government rules. We're all subject to the same expectations, but we handle things slightly differently from one group to another and so if you're looking to sponsor through somebody else or you if you have experienced sponsorship through somebody else or even through us in the past you will notice some differences we would like to invite people who haven't thus far been involved in sponsoring refugees to consider it and if you would like to get involved and especially especially if you want to sponsor someone who's not related to you, if you want to welcome the stranger, that is, feel free to contact me, this is Mark Bigland-Pritchard, at migration at mccsk.ca. That's migration at mccsk.ca. And I say, you know, especially people who aren't related to somebody that they want to bring, because we have a number of people that we would be very happy to be able to bring who are in serious problems but who don't have the people here to support them at this point to form a strong enough group or to provide the money and so if you can help in either or both of those ways then obviously we will be very very glad to hear from you meanwhile thanks for listening to how do i sponsor a refugee How Do I Sponsor a Refugee is a podcast of Mennonite Central Committee, Saskatchewan. All speakers are responsible for their own comments. We are grateful to Erin Brophy and Fletcher Forehand for providing the music.